This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm your host, Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Andrea, I am sick of being sick. Oh, I know you have the sniffles. I have the sniffles. Someone got me sick in Fiargo. And then some... Wait, you're still sick from Fargo? No, no, that was my first every I was every December I get sick. It's a thing. It's happened the last five years. Whatever. I'm I'm succumbed to my fate. But the problem is I never get sick twice in a row. I had two weeks of being healthy, and then some chuckle fuck, probably from my family during Thanksgiving, sneezed all over the sweet potatoes. And that's Oh what? Not the sweet potatoes. <laughs> oh, I still ate them anyway. They were delicious. <laughs> and this is what I had to live with. But no, so you know, I'm alive, I'm a thing. I'm a little Kermit the Frog sounding. That's how I feel. I think it's sexy. Uh-huh. I like it. Oh, would you like me to talk like <laughs> this? You can be my Miss Piggy. <laughs> uh, Kermit, you're so cute. Uh, that was the worst Miss Piggy episode ever. Oh, yeah. I don't um, know what she episode? sounds like. Epi- Impersonation. Wait, listen. If you want to quit What's Good Games and we can do a Muppet <laughs> show, like, I'm, I'm in. Just you and me, baby. Well, you know, we're definitely going to have the space for it because in case you missed my Twitter update, the studio... Construction is complete. Hooray! Sound the bells! It's very exciting. So the project is still technically underway, but the construction is complete, meaning the electrical is done, the carpet is in, the paint is done, the the door is on, everything's ready to go (laughs) for load-in. So we, of course, are working with a fantastic production company called Go Button Productions that is helping us do our set design, and that's happening next week. I'm very excited, and we're going to unveil the studio at the very end of the month for our Patreon exclusive streams, which are happening on Sunday, December 29th. If you are part of our Patreon community at patreon.com slash what's good games, you have already seen a sneak peek of it. And I'm going to be posting another couple of photos and videos once the load in happens, kind of some behind the scenes stuff. So if you do want to see it, of course, you guys know where to go. And I said this on Twitter. I'm going to reaffirm it again. This project would not be possible without the support of everybody in our Patreon community. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting us since day one when we've launched and we're able to have this awesome brand new space because of all of your guys' memberships and donations. So uh, we love you guys and we love that you support everything we do here at WGG. Oh, yeah. So that's the update that I have. Also, 
Next week is the Game Awards, which is happening on Thursday, December 12th. What's Good Games is a voting member of the jury. We are honored to be part of the Game Awards every year, and this year is no different. It's going to be, I think, a very exciting year. As you guys know, the show posts every Friday morning, and so unfortunately for us, the turnaround is just a little too tight for us to be able to do reactions to the Game Awards on that show, so we're going to hold them until the following week when Steimer and I will be giving you our reactions to who wins and who loses at the Game Awards. And we're also going to be having, I believe, a special segment, which I'm going to keep a secret for now. (laughs) And so because Brittany is going to be out of town. I am. Hopefully you get uh, this little illness that you have going on wrapped up by then. It was, yeah, I wanted to be so mad when I was sick, but at the same time, like, you know what? Whoever got me sick, I thank you for getting me sick when you did. Because if this happened the day before my trip, I would shit literal bricks. I'd be very well, upset. That sounds pa- very painful. And worsely painful. Worsely is not a word, worsely, but it's okay. It is now. Yeah. So obviously <laughs> I won't be able to attend the game awards, but I don't need to leave for my flight until later Thursday night. So I'm hoping I get to catch the awards on the Ooh, stream. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that sound like they might be getting announced that I got to pay attention. Oh, mm-hmm. oh stars. Oh. Exactly. Um, So speaking of Steimer, you guys might be asking, where is Miss Christine Steimer this week? (laughs) Uh, She is out on a work event, so she cannot be on the show this week. But she will be back, of course, next week. And we will have lots of things to talk about. Uh, Until then, we want to give a couple shout outs and thank yous. We've got some new podcast reviewers. Of course, you guys know we've been featuring one star reviews in an effort to get you to write five star reviews for What's Good Games on your favorite podcast platform. So thank you to a couple of new reviewers. Fandon 1100 and Harry Sackboy. We appreciate everybody who takes a moment of their time to leave us a review. We know that there's a lot of you out there that cannot financially support the show, and we 100% understand that. So an easy way for you to support everything we do without contributing any of your hard-earned money is just to head to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Um, That helps us out with the rankings and kind of boosts our visibility so other people can find us. Because let's face it, we all love what's good games, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Excellent. It's okay. Um, All right. Thank you this month also to our Patreon producers, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Atay, Mohammed Mohammed, and welcome to our Patreon community, Chris Woolley, Daniel Davis, Elaine Vaughn, Elmo Shell. Uh, Elmo, you've been in before. Did you cancel and come back mm. just to get us to read your name? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Robert Kubiak, Christoph Nunez, Cami, Christopher Pelt, John, Mr. Trey, Jared Coomer, and Zygintas Bergeris. Yeah, that sounds right. I hope I got that Zine. right. Zine. Ah, fuck it. Sorry. I like this name. Zygintas? Zygintas. Zygintas. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen this name before. No, me neither. Zygintas. And I Googled it and I found a lot of Facebook profiles. Sorry, I stalked you. Oh. Zygintas. Because, okay, here's the thing. I'm an ignorant dumbass. And I wanted to make, because my biggest fear is that someone's going to put a name in here that's a like, very dirty swear word in another language. So I thought, maybe this is a, a naughty oh, word. no, Brett. Now somebody's definitely going to do that. That's okay. If they do that, that means they have to join our Patreon community. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, fair. True. Got him. You got him. I got him. My friend Kevin used to say, oh, I miss those guys. Also, we had a ton of people reach out to us after I posted that studio tweet being like, hey, when can I come over? And I was like, I have plans. <laughs> I have lots of plans for 2020. It's going to be so fun. Um, exactly. But enough with the shout outs. Let's get into the news, shall we? It is a very busy week. Mm-hmm. 
But before we do that, I do want to tell you that it's brought to you by Logitech. Designed in collaboration with and for pro gamers for advanced comps and precision audio is the Logitech G headset featuring Blue Voice. So this is the Pro X headset. And I had mine somewhere nearby. Now, I don't remember where I put it. I bet you it's out in the living room connected to my console because I am absolutely <laughs> adoring this headset, you guys. So... This headset gives you a choice of real-time voice filters to reduce noise, add compression and de-essing, and ensure that your voice sounds richer, cleaner, and more professional. It features soft memory foam ear pads wrapped in premium leatherette or breathable velour, whatever is your preference, to keep you comfortable no matter how long the game goes on. The Pro X headset has some serious next-gen surround sound. Version 2.0 takes 7.1 channel surround sound further than ever with enhanced bass rendering, audio clarity and proximity cues and most importantly a new level of distinct awareness differentiates between near field and far field audio so you can pinpoint your enemy's location more quickly and accurately than ever before the logitech g pro x joins a complete setup of logitech g gear developed in close collaboration with top esports pros and with logitech g's most advanced tech and focused design nothing gets in the way of winning now, I do have the box here, which I noticed. Oh, oh. Can you Barker Beauty it and do us a little like... Oh, know? I got you, oh, girl. Yeah. So here's the box. Mm-hmm. So you guys can see the headset. It's super comfortable. That leatherette is really nice. And they also have, like I mentioned, the ability to swap out the velour if you don't like the leatherette. If you're like, you got sweaty ears or something, you want something a little <laughs> bit softer. Um, or you're like so intense in your headset, um, in your headset game. But what I really like about it, of course, is that they're super comfortable because no matter how great all of the audio features are, if you can't wear it for a long time, Mm-mm. it's all kind of moot. So if you guys are interested in trying out the Logitech G Pro X headset for yourself, you can get 10% off this headset plus any products at logitechg.com using our promo code What's Good for 10% off. Again, that's 10% off all Logitech G products if you purchase from logitechg.com with that promo code what's good remember if you guys do this if you go to the website and use our promo code that helps everything that we do here at what's good games and you get some sweet gear from it as well one more time logitechg.com promo code what's good Brittany, i wanted you to read this first story but i think it's going to be better if you just maybe react both with your face maybe with your hands maybe with some grunts okay i can grunt Um, for you girl (laughs) (laughs) okay of course you guys know we had to leave this week's show with resident evil 3 (laughs) remake cover art leaks ahead of the official announcement (laughs) this art looks really good i'm like i'm actually like so i Okay, let me just read the story okay, and then, okay, we'll, and then okay. we'll talk. So this write-up comes from Eurogamer. Resident Evil 3 remake cover art has leaked ahead of an official announcement from Capcom. The cover art, which Eurogamer sources have confirmed to be the real deal, was spotted on GameStat via Reset Era. GameStat tracks additions to PlayStation Network, and on it can be seen cover for the Japanese and international versions of Resident Evil 3 <sighs> remake. Eurogamer sources previously told us that Resident Evil 3 remake is real after it was mentioned by YouTuber Spawnwave, who said 
that it was on track for a 2020 launch. That part's cray. Back to the cover art as we see Resident Evil star Jill Valentine with a reworked look as well as Carlos Oliveira, one of the surviving members of the Umbrella Biohazard Countermeasure Service or UBCS, sporting a new hairdo. And of course, we see Nemesis itself, the intimidating villain from the original. This guy is ugly AF. Given this leak, the official announcement is surely not far off. The Game Awards, as we mentioned, are just next week. (laughs) So probably a likely place for us to see this reveal trailer. Brittany, did you pee yourself? No, because funny you ask that, actually. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. For starters, good. I'm glad you did it. Because I am someone who has to... Andrea can tell you, I pee a lot. I just have a very, very small bladder. I go through all of her toilet paper when I'm over there. It's just a bad thing. true. So I oftentimes will wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. So this was one of those moments where I was just having trouble sleeping. You know, I'm kind of sick. And I went to the bathroom and I came back and I was like, I'm going to go on Twitter. It's about six in the morning. See if I can just bore myself to sleep with all the stupid things in my timeline. (laughs) And as I'm scrolling, this fucking art pops up. And then, boom, I was just wide awake. That was it. Game over. I did not go back to sleep because I was so goddamn excited. So, no, I did not pee myself because my bladder was empty at the time. So, Andrea, I put together this exhibit in our doc that we're both looking at. So you can see all of the art and the comparisons of the old character models to the new ones and Nemesis as well. It's impressive. Isn't it? I think the humans are obviously where the most differences are. I do really like what they did with Nemesis, but because he's, you know, a monster, his (laughs) his changes ultimately aren't going to probably be as impactful as like looking at, you know, like when you look at Jill next to like new jill that's wild isn't it it looks she looks so great and so in the original uh resident evil 3 she's wearing this blue tube top with this black mini skirt this little sweatshirt tied around her waist and like these knee-high boots clearly like not ideal for zombie slaying but i guess if you want to make believe in your head that oh my god no, actually, she knew the zombies were coming because she was in the first video game. Anyway, whatever. It was a different time back in the 90s in PlayStation era. That's what you did. So I think she looks incredibly badass. I love that it looks like she has a tank top on. I mean, she kind of looks like Lara Croft, honestly, from like the next she down. She really does. <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, and I love her hair, how it's tousled. It looks like she's seen some shit. And then Carlos is obviously the big change. So if you look at his old PS1 model, you know, it kind of has that, oh, I don't know, what would you even call that haircut that was so popular back then? I mean, dude, that that's like 90s Nick Carter hair. Yeah, it really is. I, yeah, you're right. And it's long in the back. So yeah, he has like the 90s split down the middle hair. Oh my God. And in Resident Evil 3, he was very suave. You can tell he was like kind of a player, like a ladies man. And so to see this character model, because he is a hired mercenary from Umbrella to kind of like go into Raccoon City to, quote, save the survivors. So to see him, I really like this new character model because I feel like it more accurately portrays him and his background. Because as like a mercenary, you know, and plus he's in the middle of Raccoon City during the zombie outbreak. Like he's not going to be looking all beautiful as he does in the older um, character model. True. Mm-hmm. And now the other thing is now with Nemesis, some people aren't very happy with his redesign. And of, like, of course, people aren't happy on the internet. And one of the major that things sounds right. I've heard is the addition of this nose that everyone... <laughs> Nosegate is what I've been seeing on Twitter, which is kind of silly. 
um, so as you can tell in the old game, in, in his old model, he doesn't really have much of a nose. He obviously has no lips to speak of, so his teeth are just bearing, and he has one eye, and he has staples. He's just all gums. Yeah, all gums. <laughs> He's Mr. Gummy. That's what we're going to call him from now on, Mr. Gumster. So Mr. Gumster, you know, he has these staples kind of like sealing his scalp together. And in the new, in the new model, he has a nose that's like obviously very crooked and like wrong. And his mouth, it almost seems like it's so stretched out that it looks like his mouth, his gums aren't flush against his, his mouth anymore, like his lips. It's like this gaping hole where there just happens to be teeth. You can kind of like look behind the lips there. And it's kind of, I think this one, this model is more disturbing than the original. And I seem to be in the minority with that one. I think something about this model legit terrifies me, especially knowing that he's going to be chasing you throughout the game, just saying stars the whole time. And he has tentacles. And he chases you much like the tyrant does, like Mr. X does in RE2, right? Correct, yeah. Except for this guy's a lot more persistent. So, Damn it. That's bad <laughs> news. That's terrible news. So some fun insight in Nemesis. And it's interesting because now we're in that weird period where it's like, I don't want to talk too much about the story of RE3 because I know some people will be playing it for the first time. But So Nemesis is essentially Mr. X enhanced with a parasite. Oh, because I guess if you like put a hat on him, he can't in the glasses. Mm-hmm. He could. He pretty much is just Mister X, right? Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of story and lore behind what the Nemesis is and what the Nemesis project is. If you want to go way back and get geeky with it, but in short, yeah, he's just a modified tyrant, which is what Mister X was. So that's why he kind of has the same qualities, but he's a lot more dangerous and a lot scarier. And uh, I am just so thrilled i mean this we kind of knew this was going to happen but it is just so exciting that it's like when that art leaked oh my god oh i would have peed myself had i not just peed minutes prior <laughs> well, so we, yeah. we knew it was going to be announced but i think the thing that's confusing to me mm-hmm. is well not confusing but not it makes me contemplate is capcom planning to do this with all the resident evil games that feels like it doesn't make sense right is it so do you as a Resident Evil super fan think that there's only a specific number of games that it makes sense to do this with? And if yes, which games are those? Yeah, so I mean, I think it does make sense if you look at how well the remake has sold, right? I think it's close to surpassing the original sales of um, the original RE2. I think obviously, so the very first game, if you want to go chronological order, is Resident Evil 0. That happens before Resident Evil 1. I don't think that one's necessary to remake they don't need to remake resident evil one because they already did that a while ago and it still holds up graphically and it still plays well and you should everyone who's interested in the resident evil series should still play that it looks great resident evil 2 makes sense resident evil 3 makes sense because it follows the events of resident evil 2 and then the next game that i would hope would be remade is called resident evil code veronica now this takes place with claire redfield as you met in resident evil 2 and she's still pursuing her brother chris that's kind of the next OG style Resident Evil games you can think of. And then the next one would be Resident Evil 4. And then you kind of got to ask, do they even need to remake Resident Evil 4? That's when I start asking the question, right? I think it would make sense if they do make remake Resident Evil Code Veronica because everyone is established with Claire now, especially with the success of RE2. But then after that, I don't think they really need to start remaking 4 on I don't think it really makes sense. I think what they might do after that is then just focus on the mainline titles, which is what we know. They already work on Resident Evil 8. So, yeah, that's my hypothesis in all things Resident Evil. 
Interesting. Well, it certainly has somebody like me interested because I had no desire to go back and play the original RE games. And, you know, because I saw so much that was interesting to me about RE2 Remake, I played it and finished it and was blown away by it and was really impressed with it. And so, I mean, I want to see what happens with the story. It almost makes me a little sad they didn't go back and do the first one. That they started with RE2, right? Instead of just being like, hey, why don't we just remake it from the beginning, right? Like, do you think that that's still in play or you think that that moment has passed? I I would be very surprised if they re-remake Resident Evil 1 because they already call Resident Evil 1 a remake. Like, they call it remake. That's, like, its title. Uh, I think but not like this. Not like, not like this. RE2, no, no, right? no. And I think the reason they start with RE2 is because, I mean, I think across the board, the majority of people think this is the best Resident Evil game that has been made. I mean, obviously, RE2 and RE4 are kind of compared, but I think they're kind of apples and oranges in that sense. But RE2 has more of a storyline, I feel like, and it really establishes Raccoon City, which then makes it easier to transition to RE3, where you can say, hey, you know, now all these events that happen in Raccoon City with Claire and Chris... RE3 takes place before RE2 and after RE2. So I think it's a good way to kind of keep people hooked. Whereas if you started with RE1, it's like, okay, you're in a mansion. And then that's kind of it. Does that make sense? And then if you, for them to yeah. be like, yeah, here's RE1, mansion. Oh, no, now you should care about RE2. Because now it's the storylines are connected, but not, not super strong, if that makes sense. Like, of course, it's the same story and the same world and the same whatnot. But I think selling people from RE2 to RE3 is a lot easier from RE1 to RE2. And um, I think if Capcom did announce a remake of RE1, people would be like, oh, that's cool. Not needed, but cool. Whereas with RE2, it was like, oh, my God, take me, Capcom. Exactly. And so I think the Game Awards would be a great place to announce this. I'm If it is announced, I'm going to be crying from home on the computer because I'm sad I'm not there. But there's also another convention at the end of December called Jump Festa, and Capcom has said that they're going to have two un- unannounced titles there, and that takes place December 21st through December 22nd. And it's primarily an anime manga convention, but they will have games at their studio, and two of them have been unannounced. So, hmm, well, well, well. what could one of those be? And then, of course, we got info on Project Resistance, which is still called Project Resistance, which, I mean, whatever. That's... It's, it's a thing. It's, <laughs> it's a thing that's happening. It's a thing. I think we'll continue to see spinoffs, you know, kind of going back to your other question about will we see more remakes? I would not be surprised if we see spinoffs like Project Resistance and whatnot in the future. But I think, yeah, the main line are going to code Veronica and then maybe they'll remake four, but I would doubt it. And then sprinkle in some spinoffs and then continue down like the RE 8910 route. That makes sense. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. If this indeed gets announced, if it is indeed scheduled for 2020, which would be impressive, and then ultimately, once it launches, what happens sales-wise to see if Capcom goes, you know what, we need to keep making more of, oh, hey, you know what, we tried it, it worked out for a couple things, but maybe it's too expensive to keep going. Yeah. Oh. But uh, I'm glad that you were excited, and I look forward to uh, your reactions if they (laughs) debut a trailer next week. I know. I should just record myself during the conference, just in case. Obviously, you should. Of course. (laughs) Normally, you know, that would be my job, job. but you're not going to be there, so... I mean, I could take a gif of Steimer, but she's not going to have the same reaction. Oh, she would just blink. She'd probably hide. She'll hide behind you. Because that that gif of you seeing RE2 remake for the first time, like, that gif is 
amazing. That's pure joy right there, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it is. Um, All right. Let's continue on since we have a lot to get through in the news Mm. today. Riot settles lawsuit will pay every female employee since 2014 with a $10 million fund. So this write-up comes from Kotaku. But before I get into the write-up, of course, I want to make a disclaimer that our co-host, who was not on the show this week, works full-time for Riot Games. Um, It's probably a blessing in disguise she isn't here because she wouldn't be able to talk about this story, (laughs) but we can. So here we go. Riot Games will pay out a huge $10 million proposed settlement collectively to every woman who has been employed with the company at any time over the last five years. Which Does that mean Steimer's getting money? <gasps> the settlement is one of the largest in California history for a gender discrimination suit, says the plaintiff's lawyer. The payout, which was first reported by the Los Angeles Times, marks a sweet moment of justice for women at Riot, who have been systemically disadvantaged working at the giant gaming company, according to a 2018 Kotaku investigation. Their report described rampant sexism at Riot, manifesting in its hiring and promotion practices and bro office culture, which sometimes encouraged harassment and gender discrimination and wait gender discrimination i was gonna read bro office culture again and i was i just keep gravitating towards that uh anyway continuing now the suit filed november 2018 described how women at the league of legends publisher were paid less than the men at the same similar positions a copy of the proposed settlement obtained by Kotaku notes that each lawsuit participant will receive some amount of money determined by their tenure, length, and status as an employee. One reason for the large sum is to make up for what plaintiff's lawyers determined was a significant difference in salary between men and women at the company. Ryan Saba, the plaintiff's lawyer, said in a statement that this, quote, this shows that Riot is serious about changing the culture at the company, end quote. Riot told Kotaku in an email that, quote, we are pleased that a proposed settlement to fully resolve the class action lawsuit against Riot was finally was filed recently by plaintiff's counsel. The settlement is another important step forward and demonstrates our commitment to living up to our values and to making Riot an inclusive environment for the industry's best talent, end quote. Riot licked to a blog post further elaborating on their perspective. If you want to go and find it, it is on RiotGames.com. Over the last year, Riot has undertaken several steps to mitigate its culture of sexism, including overhauling its recruitment, hiring, and promotion process, offering clearer job descriptions, removing problem employees, bringing in third-party culture consultants and a diversity director, appointing women into leadership positions, and offering employees channels to offer feedback on their progress. In August, current employees told Kotaku that the company has made real progress fixing its issues. Unfortunately, several said that progress was undercut by Riot's continued employment of senior male employees named in the lawsuit, who as sources say have exhibited harmful workplace behavior. Said one current employee, it's great that Wright has decided to compensate women for the abuse they suffered here, but their rhetoric about healing and moving on leaves something to be desired. She continued, it's difficult to heal and move on when we are faced with the reality that at the end of the day, Wright prefers to pay the women still here for the trouble of continuing to work with alleged abusers. Yikes. Yeah, so that's a a thing that's really, I mean, troubling is is a word, but it's not really, it's shitty is the word that I want to (laughs) use. Because, like, here's the thing, like, if you have people that are part of this whole process and clearly you're making a settlement because you did something wrong, maybe you just go to those people and go, you know what? Maybe we just like high five and go our separate ways just for the benefit of both their career and in the workplace, you know, 
atmosphere and, and kind of overall feeling. I'm really glad that they're going to be compensated. As a woman who's worked in this industry for a long time and as a woman who's just in life, doesn't even have to be in video <laughs> games, it's shitty that it took a class action lawsuit in order for women to be compensated. And clearly, they're still not compensated equally. And I hope that women coming in will be, but it's difficult to go back and try to make reparations for all the wrongs that you've done over those years. And quite frankly, I don't know if it's even possible. Mm -hmm. And women in the video games industry in particular are just, that's kind of like the lot that they're given and you kind of have to accept is that, you know, what happened to you in the past is just in the past. And, you know, you're kind of shit out of luck of getting reparations for it. I'm just happy to see that somebody's getting something because I've worked in my fair share of bro office culture environments and no one giving me any money for it. <laughs> no shit. Uh, I also read too that worth noting that women who, you know, accepted severance or whatnot upon leaving Riot based off of their reasons, they will not be receiving any of this money as well. Just something worth noting. It's uh, sounds like it's just all current employees or contractors and mm -hmm. it's, it's shitty. That's probably down to like a legalese yeah, thing. I'm sure. That is an unfortunate byproduct of the lawsuit of trying to say like, how are we supposed to go back and make reparations if people left of their own volition or left because they got a job at another company or this and this? And mm -hmm. I'm sure they had to draw the line in the sand somewhere and for the legal team in order to come to a settlement. That was probably one of the conditions. So like that sucks, but like if it means that the women that are continuing to work there and to be part of that community and be part of everything that League of Legends does because the League of Legends community is fantastic and there's so many things that Riot does that's right by their community that if I think it makes sense that they had to draw the line at we're only going to compensate the people that are still working here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just unfortunate, but I think that's the way it just has to be in this case. But it's it's shitty and it's good and it's shitty and it's good, right? It's good that ten million's being awarded. It's shitty that ten million had to be awarded. It's good that it's shitty that this happened, but it's good that it happened in the sense that I think this sets a really big example in the industry that hey, like this shit's taken seriously now. And again, shout out to Cecilia who made some incredible reporting on this last uh, August, I think it was of twenty eighteen. Absolutely. And if she hadn't done this, who knows? I mean, I think this is going to make waves and set a new benchmark for how women are treated in the workplace, specifically in the video game industry right now. But hopefully, you know, the ripples will go out into other industries as well. But yeah, I uh, reread that article because it had been, you know, over a year and there's been so many articles put out since then about burnout and harassment in the industry. So I had to refresh my memory and I was rereading it. And damn, that's a messed up shit. Just some yeah. of the examples that were given, you know, how this woman found out that there was an email thread going around about how what it would be like to penetrate her and how, you know, peen pics were being sent around un unwillingly and just really gross, nasty things that it's just I mean, I've never I've worked in an office setting for, you know, from age like what, 18 to 22. But, you know, I was working primarily with women, so I didn't really have this bro office culture experience. So reading this is pretty shocking to me. And I'm just happy this happened. I mean, I'm not happy it happened, but I'm happy that the settlement came in and hopefully now some change will come about. Yeah, reparations are important. And it's it's. You, when you think it can't get any worse and you hear another story, I mean, the things that, you know, that Kataka reported on 
were bad, but some of the stories that I heard firsthand from people who worked inside Riot, you know, Steimer aside, um, because, you know, she wasn't working there when the bulk of this was happening, just, you know, for clarification for everybody. Um, but from, from other women that I know in the industry, you know, like the idea that a male colleague would book a conference room for a meeting and then bring you into the meeting and then would proceed to hit on you and just really ask you out. And that was the whole purpose of the meeting was shocking to me, was disgusting, was like my like my jaw was like on the floor when this when this woman was telling me this story. And I was like, that can't be that. Can't, no, that didn't that didn't actually happen. Are you serious right now? And like. I just could not believe that this was the kind of behavior that was tolerated, that you couldn't even do your job as a woman without having a man think that he was entitled to take time out of your workday so that he could make a sexual advance towards you. Like, that's outrageous to me. Also, like, don't do that. Don't be that guy. And most importantly, if you see that kind of behavior happening in front of you, if you hear of that kind of behavior in locker room talk or whatever bullshit euphemism you want to use to describe mm-hmm. it, say something. Do something. Be like, bro, that's not cool. Bro, that's shitty. That's gross. Why are you being like that, bro? Yeah, Don't bro. be a bro, bro. Yeah, bro. Don't be a dick, bro. Okay, that's it. I'm off my soapbox now. No, no, you're um, right. Just don't be a dick person. Be nice to people. Treat people with respect, yeah. man. Exactly. Why is this so hard? Why is this be so like, hard? Be like everybody at What's Good Games community. Yeah. Our community's the best. We're great. We're all cool. Okay, let's move on, shall we? Mm-hmm. To something more exciting, something happier, something uplifting. Okay. Something bona fide Nintendo. Oh, yeah. The Nintendo Switch has set a U.S. sales record over Black Friday. So this story comes from GameSpot. The Nintendo Switch just had its best week of sales in the U.S. ever, according to the company's internal records. Nintendo says that the week of Thanksgiving, that means the 24th of November through the 30th, which includes Black Friday, the Switch and Switch Lite systems sold a combined total of more than 830,000 units in the U.S., That's just in the United States, you guys. The company also noted that it broke internal Cyber Monday records, though it didn't give exact figures. Nintendo credits the impressive figures to the addition of the Switch Lite to the lineup, a wealth of Black Friday offers, and the recently announced Nintendo Switch bundle that includes Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is kind of a lull because that game came out so long ago. But (laughs) continuing on, total Switch sales in the Americas reached 17.5 million units. So that's lifetime sales, for the record. Nintendo didn't note in the announcement if these figures are sell-in, meaning to retailers, or sell-through to customers. Because as you guys know, there's a difference between items shipped to stores and items that actually like are bought by people and taken home. Software though, was no slouch during the holiday week either. Pokemon Sword and Shield now have sold a combined total of more than 3 million copies in the Americas, continuing its record-breaking successful launch. Other notable lifetime software sales milestones include Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, mm-hmm. surpassing 8.5 million, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, surpassing 8 million, Super Mario Odyssey hitting 6.5 million, and new Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe hitting 1.5 million. Now, did we get if those sales milestones at the end are total, global, or just in the Americas? I'm assuming Americas because, I mean, to think that there's only 8.5 million units of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe out there, 
Um, right? Seems yeah, low. Yeah, very low. I thought yeah. there was more. I feel like everyone is. and their mom has that game. Right. Um, so this is exciting and incredible. Congratulations, Nintendo. I think we all knew with the Switch Lite and Pokemon that it was going to be a winning combination this holiday. Obviously, more sales still to come throughout the month of December here in the Americas and obviously around the world. But this is really cool. It's Nintendo's time to shine. It makes me so happy. I think I say this every year, at least one point. It's kind of like when you get drunk and you want to tell all of your friends how much you love them. Well, I'm on Sudafed and I want to tell Nintendo how much I love them. <laughs> no, it's just, again, I mean, we all remember, like, the Wii, granted, sold a lot, but it was kind of shit on. The Wii U was just kind of a flop, put, to put it lightly. And we were all wondering, what's Nintendo going to do to bounce back from this? And, like, damn. Just, like, I love you guys. And I don't agree with everything you do because you make some really fucking weird decisions. But it's you're true. doing they good. Do. They do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm with you. It's funny that you bring up the Wii because I was watching a commercial the other day. And it was, I think it was a commercial for, I don't even remember what. Maybe it was like for one of those weird drug commercials where it's like the happy family, like playing something together. And oh. it's like, do you have itchy elbows? <laughs> well, we have this new cream for you. And it shows like people like playing outside oh, together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this family. They were playing the Wii. Like, what? The actual like old school Wii with the Wii modes with the silicone condoms over them. Oh, no shit. And I was like, wait, why are they playing the Wii? Why aren't they playing Nintendo Because they, they cured their itchy elbows, Andrea. Now they can play Wii <laughs> bowling without their elbows itching every time. It was, it was funny. That's but, cute. Uh, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> but I'm looking forward to playing my Switch over the holiday. I've got Luigi's Mansion 3 queued up. I'm ready uh, to go. Pokemon queued um, up. Yeah, do Pokemon, um, Pokemon Shield. That's the one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of Nintendo Switch, actually, we've got another story from The Verge about how Nintendo Switch is launching in China. The official Chinese variant of the Nintendo Switch will launch in mainland China next week, Tencent and Nintendo have announced. The bundle will sell for 2,099 yuan. I don't know how to say the name of the Chinese currency, which is crazy that I've never said that out loud, but it's roughly 297 US dollars in case you are wondering what the equivalent is. So they're roughly equal in price because Switch still sells for $299.99. And it includes a copy of New Super Mario Bros. Deluxe. That's the only title officially approved for sale so far, according to China gaming analyst Daniel Ahmad of Nyko Partners, although other games like Mario Kart 8 and Super Mario Odyssey are also confirmed to be on the way. So far, it looks like Tencent and Nintendo are only releasing the original Switch model, not the smaller and cheaper Switch Lite. Pre-orders start today in China, and the console will formally go on sale on Tuesday, December 10th. Um, so there's some other previously announced things about the Switch mm-hmm. and how it's incorporated with Tencent and their internet interface and the last paragraph cloud the infrastructure and basically the way that they're going to localize games and pay for games is going to be inherently different on the Switch in China than it is in virtually every other market because China has their own rules for yeah. literally everything. So this last sentence um, is worth reading. Nintendo doesn't predict an immediate boost in sales. Quote, we have not factored the sales of China into our financial forecast for the current fiscal year. And even if the launch does occur during the current fiscal year, we do not expect a significant impact on this year's business results. President and CEO Shuntaro Furukawa told investors last month. That's actually incredibly smart of Nintendo to do from a financial perspective because... 
They have to get new games and internet infrastructure approved by the Chinese government in order for Switch to sell. Because right now in China, the video games market is dominated by PC and mobile Mm -hmm. because those are the most easily accessible platforms because it allows people to play on a device that they can use for other things. The Switch is clearly a dedicated handheld that has limited functional online abilities at best. So if they really want to make an impact with the gigantic Chinese gaming market, they have to have games that are tailored specifically for China and they have to have a way better online offering than what they currently have. Yeah. Some notes. I watched the Switch Chinese commercial and yeah, like you said, it's all uh, PC and mobile. And in the commercial, every situation shows someone walking into a room, whether it's family or friends, and everyone is just on their phone, like doing their own thing. And then the person like, oh, and they look and they snap their finger. And then like everyone now owns a switch. And that's replacing the mobile experience that they're having. So yeah, they're definitely knowing how to market to the consumers there in China. So a few other notes. The games will be will be priced around forty two bucks each American dollars, and only the um, the new Super Mario Brothers U. It's actually a trial demo that's being supplied with the Switch. I don't think you can actually buy it just yet. I'm assuming you'll be able to buy the full thing at launch, but what's bundled with the Switch itself is just a demo. And then Ubisoft will also support the Switch launch with Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle Just Dance Rayman Legends alongside Rabbids Adventure Party from Ubisoft. Chengdu, which is a China exclusive. Um, obviously, that's not launching alongside the Switch launch, but it will be within the launch period. And um, it was one more. Oh, yeah. And the console is officially called the Tencent Nintendo Switch. Huh. Which I thought was kind of cute. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I'm just fascinated with, um, I mean, obviously, China's ran very differently than the United States. But specifically, this example that I always tell people when they wonder, like, well, why is China in gaming? What's up with that? So there was recently that console ban that was just lifted, what, like three years ago or four years ago? It was in place from 2000 to 2015. Yeah, let me look here. Pretty crazy. And all games, yeah, like Andrea said, have to go through a government approval process. In 2015, so, it was a 15-year ban on video game consoles was lifted by the Ministry of Culture. Which is crazy. In July of 2015 is when that story was was uh, announced. So crazy. So, for example, PUBG was released in China, and they kept having to you know make modifications to it because it kept getting declined, declined. So they f- eventually said, fuck it. So then they re-released something that's almost identical called Game for Peace. Okay, and all of your progress from PUBG Mobile transfers over to Game for Peace. And when you kill your opponent, they kind of sit up and wave at you and then they disappear. So it's like a a wholesome, friendly event. Interesting. Why don't they just make that game a thing? Make it for everybody. Make it for everyone. And then the game is described as, quote, it pays tribute to the blue sky warriors that guard China's airspace. (laughs) So... As you can tell, obviously, the Chinese government really, like, has their finger on everything. And so it's interesting to watch how games really get, you know, modified so they get approved over there. So interesting for Nintendo. I'm happy for them that they finally get their stuff over there. I mean, granted, like, there's been the gray markets for a while, so people do already have Switches. And what's good about this is that games that people have acquired through what they call, like I said, the gray market will work on their Switches if they were to buy the console legally and officially now. Yeah, exactly. Interesting stuff. We will keep an eye on this. But Tencent, man, they got their fingers in everything. 
That's what she, she said. said. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, PlayStation is up next, speaking of consoles, and apparently they're no longer interested in making handheld consoles. So this write-up comes from IGN. Sony has confirmed that it doesn't consider itself to be in the business of making handheld gaming consoles anymore. That means we shouldn't expect a follow-up to the PSP or PlayStation Vita anytime soon, if Ever. President and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment, Jim Ryans, recently spoke to Game Informer for a feature that looks back at the 25-year history of PlayStation consoles. As part of this, he remembered the PlayStation Vita and confirmed that there were no plans for any more PlayStation consoles like it in the future. Quote, PlayStation Vita was brilliant in many ways, and the actual gaming experience was great, but clearly it's a business that we're no longer in now. End quote. <laughs> His words parallel those of Dra- Jack Tretton, former CEO of Sony Computer Entertainment America, when he spoke to IGN about the PS Vita back in 2016. Jack said, now that I don't work there anymore, I think it internally was, this is a great machine. It's just too late. The world has shifted to portable devices that aren't dedicated gaming machines, Tretton said. In fact, it's the same sentiment that Sony has been spreading at least as far back as 2015. In September of that year, then-SCE Worldwide Studios president Shuhei Yoshida said that a successor to the PS Vita would be unlikely, as the climate is not as healthy due to the dominance of mobile gaming. However, PlayStation boss John Codero said in 2018 that he wanted PlayStation to keep experimenting with portable gaming. Quote, rather than separating portable gaming from consoles, it's necessary to continue thinking of it as one method to deliver more gaming experiences and exploring what our customers want from portable, end quote. This new quote from Jim Ryan certainly confirms there will be no more PlayStation consoles. Oh, excuse me. Wait, wait, yeah, is that's, that what it said? Wait, yeah. Yeah, from that's, Jim, There no. will be no more PlayStation consoles. Handheld, <laughs> yeah. I think they meant to write there, for clarification. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that PS5 won't have some sort of portable gaming, nor does it mean Sony won't make portable games for other platforms. Of course, these days, Sony is focusing on PS5 ahead of its release in holiday 2020. Now, I find this very curious, Brit, mm. in the wake of the story of the Nintendo Switch breaking American records for sales with a, um, a portable gaming console. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I was thinking about this as I was reading this quote. I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, okay. So Nintendo has always dominated in portable gaming. Right, so I guess it's no surprise yes, that absolutely. if anyone can release a, doubt. a portable gaming device and succeed, it would be Nintendo. Because I can't tell you though how many times I've wished that I could take my PlayStation games with me or my Xbox games with me, you know, on a little device that I can take on the airplane and whatnot. But I was trying to think, as much as I want that, how successful would that really be? You know, on paper, it sounds like an amazing thing. But if, you know, PlayStation 5 were to come out and be like, this is a console or a PS5, let's just say like we don't know anything about it. It's a console that you can take with you on the go. It's something you can use like a switch docking system or whatnot. But we're cutting back on, you know, the oomph and the power and the guts to make this possible. I feel like people would shit bricks. They would riot. They would riot. They would (laughs) shit those painful bricks that I talked about at the top of the show. Yes, exactly. No, it's interesting because... You are so spot on when you say that Nintendo is the dominating force in, in the handheld gaming because Nintendo has always inherently had 
games that work well on mm-hmm. mobile devices. And I don't mean like phones. I mean portable handheld devices because they don't rely on giant open world systems to load and perform. They don't have super in-depth graphics, both from a, a, a design, art, lighting, all of the things that go into animation perspective. I mean, Nintendo games are great, but they just don't have to push as much processing power like breath of the wild some of the other games do is not right. god of war right like in terms of right graphics it's not horizon not. zero dawn exactly yeah. right it's it's not even a game like gears five if you think about xbox games too mm-hmm. it's interesting because i spoke to phil spencer and aaron greenberg about xbox getting into the portable and the handheld marketplace way back i think in like 2012 um or 2013 at an e3 and and phil at the time was just like We've got the Windows phone. We don't need to make a, a handheld gaming device. <laughs> and now, obviously, they have Project X Cloud and streaming, and you're going to be able to stream to devices. You don't have to have a dedicated Xbox device. And I think that's what's really brilliant about Xbox's approach and what differs between what Sony is doing and what Nintendo is doing is they're saying, hey, we want gamers in the xbox ecosystem to do what you just said brett to be able to take your game on the go and play it on a smaller screen mm. but it's the same game and that's what was different about the vita if you think about the library of games that were in the playstation vita those games were almost wholly vita exclusive of course there were crossover games there were cross-play games and there were some franchises that had installments that were on both systems, but it wasn't the vision that I think xCloud is trying to go for, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, hey, I start this game on my home, you know, PS5, and then I bring it to my Vita, right? Obviously, remote play was trying to make that a thing. Oh, yeah. It just didn't quite work the way that everybody wanted it to, though I did use remote play to make many Azure visits on the weekends during the original Destiny days. But it was only good for visiting Azure because, let's be honest, the frame rate was terrible. (laughs) But I think that that, that's the dream for people in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I have this smartphone, right? Like, I paid, like, a butt-ton of money for this, like, fancy iPhone, right? I want to be able to play games on it. I want to be able to stream games on it with a controller when I'm on an airplane, um, if it's possible, but that's, yeah, that's the thing, right? You know, does that mean I have to pay for internet? Now, granted, I'm a T-Mobile customer, so I get free internet on airplanes, but, uh, well, 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 good luck getting more than two megabits per second, but listen, side confession, you can continue your story. I once paid for airplane internet to play Hearthstone. It happened. It was true. Okay. Continue on. Guys, such a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, that's, that's the thing that's. And that's kind of thing, like I said, where the Nintendo, we, we're all kind of accustomed to those portable ex- experiences on Nintendo consoles, the, the Game Boy, the DS, the 3DS, et cetera, et cetera, where it's like, it makes sense. And I don't know though if Sony or Xbox were to do that, you know, it doesn't make sense for them to make that portable device, like you said. Like, do your xCloud thing, do whatever, but I still sometimes wish I had a little mini portable PS4 or Xbox One that I could just like stick in my pocket, not have to worry about internet, just charge it before I go, you know, it'd be great. Someday, maybe. Someday. Yeah. Well, you know, if Stadia can get their act together, uh-huh. it might be a thing. Uh-huh. Who, who could say? Okay. Um, well, we do have a couple more stories, but because the news is so meaty this week, I thought maybe we could take a quick break right now. And then what we'll do is we'll just roll from the news into our hands-on segment. What do you think, Britt? Are you with me? I am with you. Hell on high water, girl. 
Heck yeah, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. So we're going to do it a little bit unorthodox this week, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, we've got some more console news to talk about because we were talking about Xbox. They've got a big story. And then, of course, there's this game that Brittany is trying to force me to play that we're going to talk about. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You'll love it. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the What's Good Games podcast, and we are about to start segment two of the show. As I mentioned just a moment ago, we're doing it a little bit out of order this week. So before I get into the further segments of the news, I would like to tell you that it's brought to you by ID Tech Campus. So we've talked about this company before. But if you guys have kids and you want them to have an amazing camp experience, we would love for you to learn about ID Tech. So we know that there's a lot of other tech learning experiences out there, but sometimes they make your kids feel more like they're doing homework than like they're having a really fun time at camp. But if they have the best experience going to these camps, that experience is going to stay with them. And maybe it's going to turn into something they become passionate about. Perhaps even it could light a fire in them for the rest of their life. Whether they're interested in coding, video game development, robotics, or even video production like we do here at What's Good Games, ID Tech can guide your child from casual explorer to college-bound pro. Their rock star instructors transform a love of apps and video games. Yes, like Fortnite. I don't know why Fortnite is always the game that people point to. Maybe because it's I mean, like it's great. It's a great game. Played by half no, the population. No, nothing. Okay, Britt, you make a you make a valid point. <laughs> now, whether they love video games um, or apps, like we were mentioning, they can turn that love into a foundation for college internships and dream careers at companies like Google and Disney. Hey, I know somebody that works at Disney. Mm-hmm. Kids have a blast exploring their interests and build the STEM skills employers are desperate for. ID Tech was founded in Silicon Valley, and now they have programs at 150 prestigious campus destinations worldwide, from Caltech and NYU to Cambridge and the University of Hong Kong. Chances are you can find a location within driving distance of your hometown. Now, when Sabriel was on the show not that long ago, we were talking about ID Tech and and how there's even campuses near her in the upper, upper Midwest, like in St. Paul, which is fantastic. Obviously, Britt and I live in major metropolitan areas, so we're blessed that there's a lot nearby. But we know that sometimes that can be a challenge. But what's great about ID Tech is that they have locations and things in places that you would not even imagine. So we definitely encourage you to seek out their website and check where all of their campuses are. The courses are for all skill levels, which is great. Beginners are welcome and advanced students have a place to be challenged and grow, which is so important if you have an advanced placement child. Now, when you invest in your child, tomorrow takes care of itself, Avi. Mm -hmm. So nurture their interests now with the help from ID Tech. 
So if you guys are interested in all of these fantastic courses and camps that they have, you got to go to idtech.com slash what's good to reserve your child's spot and receive $75 off their course. This is a great gift for the holidays. So now is the time to do it. idtech.com slash what's good for $75 off idtech.com slash what's good. Boy, do I wish that I had gotten mm-hmm. this as a Christmas present when I was a kid. <laughs> I know. All those but socks and exist. pajamas. I know. You could have gone to coding camp. Yeah. I could oh. be like making my own God of War right now, Corey. Oh, yeah. We could be what's good game developers. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Maybe that's our next chapter, Brit. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited for this. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to the news. So before the break, we were talking about consoles and the future of consoles. We were talking about Nintendo Switch. We were talking about PS5. So it only makes sense that we start talking about Microsoft and how they are planning a cheaper, discless, next-gen Xbox. So this comes from Kotaku. In June, Microsoft announced Project Scarlet a new iteration of the Xbox that the company said would set a new bar for console power, speed, and performance. What Microsoft didn't say is that it's also working on a lower-cost, discless version of Scarlet, codenamed Lockhart, according to four people briefed from the company's plans. Taking a brief break Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to look at this story, because I could have swore I read this story months ago. It just broke today, I think, or yesterday. It's a Jason Schreier thing. So there must be an update. Yeah. Continuing on. If those names sound familiar, that's because they've been floating around for a while. The earliest rumors about Microsoft's next-gen roadmap circa 2018 suggested that Project Scarlet would consist of two Xbox models. The high-performance Anaconda and the lower-end Lockhart. We all remember that name. In June, however, Microsoft announced that Scarlet was a single high-end console, which led to speculation and then press reports that Lockhart had been canceled. But Kotaku has learned that Lockhart is in fact still in the works as a cheaper digital-only alternative to Scarlet, as the original rumor suggested. Now, what we don't know, and what likely isn't finalized yet, is how the pricing will shake out. But it's easiest to think of Anaconda as a successor to the Xbox One X, and Lockhart as a successor to the Xbox One S, with a similar performance disparity. Game developers will be expected to support both Anaconda and Lockhart, which some are worried might hamper their ambitions for next-gen games in the coming years. When speaking to Kotaku, one game developer briefed on Lockhart analogize, 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 oh, I hate this word. I know. (laughs) Analogized. Oh, no. (laughs) How about an easier word, Kotaku? compared it to the PlayStation <laughs> that Jason Schreier, man. I don't know. I'm like, listen, like you can just use the word compare. That's the word you want to use there. Okay. It's 
One game developer briefed on Lockhart compared it to the PlayStation 4 Pro in terms of raw graphical power. Although there are key differences that might make up for that, Lockhart is said to have a solid state drive like both Anaconda and Sony's upcoming PlayStation 5, which is expected to have significant impact on loading times. Developers briefed on Lockhart also said it has a faster CPU than any current video game console. I'm going to put a pin in that for a second because I wonder if they're incorporating Stadia into that or not. Mm-hmm. Question mark. Mm-hmm. Continuing on, which could allow for higher frame rates, although there are factors that might not become clear until the console is completely finalized, such as clock speed and cooling. Microsoft's ideal target performance are said to be 4K resolution and 60 frames per second. Obviously, uh, that's for Anaconda and then the 1440p resolution and 60 frames per second on Lockhart. So really, we're just talking about a 4K difference there. It sounds like the frame rate will be identical. Brits note, mm. there's quite a bit more to the story, but this is all the real meat and taters. Mm. Mm. I love me some meat and taters. Well, me, me too, girl. God, that sounds good. Also, I love that you highlighted it <laughs> and wrote anal Yeah. So... Go on, go on, Brittany. Oh, no, I, I was just going to talk about how I highlighted the anal part of that word. That's all <laughs> I was going to say. Let's talk about the word anal. Analgalized? Mm-hmm. Anal Anal. Fuck. Whatever. Analgalized? And I'll, oh, that's probably it's, it. It's just a word that doesn't need to exist. Let's yeah. just use the word compared. <laughs> There's the minutia of difference between the words. And yes, I'm aware there is a difference. English majors don't get on my case. Mm. But it's not enough so that the vast majority of readers need to be concerned with. Anyway, going back to the story. Mm. It's interesting to me that this is a story right now at this moment, knowing that Xbox is doing more messaging around xCloud than around a diskless, digital-only like box that would still plug into your TV. However, when this story first broke and we were talking about a potential future for a high-end powered Xbox and then like a low-end digital, mm-hmm. I said, why not? Why wouldn't Xbox do a Chromecast-like Xbox console that can do all of this all-in-one entertainment stuff that they've been pushing so hard this generation with Xbox and also do streaming for xCloud. I look at Stadia and how Chromecast Ultra is how you play Stadia primarily right now at launch and go, why wouldn't Xbox do something like that where you can take all of the apps that are currently available on Xbox One now, put it on a Chromecast-like device, plug it into the back of your TV or put it in your luggage, take it with you and, you know, plug it into a screen on the go and boom, who needs discs anymore? Boom shakalaka. Yeah, this would be a great opportunity, like you said, for them to grow their Game Pass and xCloud subscribers. And I think the main difference, if you think about it, because I know we we shit on the Xbox One Sad Edition, you know, quite a bit. As we should. It's yeah. sad. To, 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 uh, anyway, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is obviously going to be a much more powerful console, and I don't think it's going to have, you know, the things that we shit on uh, on the Xbox One Sad Edition. I don't think that's kind of like what they're going for with this. This sounds like it's going to be a very powerful console, it's, and it'd be a perfect way, you know, to do the Game Pass and xCloud bundle. And if it's cheaper, it's an easier entry point for people who might not have, might not have, might, might not be familiar with, you know, Microsoft and Xbox exclusives and XYZ. And if it's a good way for them to sell more consoles and more get more subs, then 
I think it makes sense. It's not a surprising thing that this would happen. I guess they're just not talking about it right now. Surprise, surprise. Probably because they're saving it for 2020 when they're going to do their official Scarlet unveiling and give it its, you know, its retail name. And I, I like the idea, though, that they're still committed to a like a physical box that can do more performance because as we've seen with Stadia's launch, there's no guarantee on performance. Even if you have a, a very fast internet connection like I do here, like, you know, like I have upwards of 500 megabits per second down, which is a very rare speed to get anywhere. And I still can't get, you know, a locked in frame rate or resolution. And so it makes sense with how entrenched Xbox is in the console market that they would offer both to say, hey, we're going to experiment on one hand with our, you know, Azure cloud servers and with Project X Cloud and with everything that comes with that. And so we're going to offer this tiny little Lockhart or whatever they want to call it. And then, you know, Scarlet's going to be the star. Big boy. Phil Spencer tweeted this earlier. I don't know if you've seen it. He said, <clears throat> oh, yes, I pulled it up. Please yeah. read it. He said, and it started. This is not how Phil Spencer speaks. <clears throat> and it started. He would say, and it started. This week I brought my Project Scarlet console home and it's become my primary console. No shit. Playing my games, connecting to the community, and yes, using my Elite Series 2 controller. Having a blast. Great work by the team. 2020 is going to be an incredible year. Phil Spencer, you tease. Do you need anyone I to house it? I can absolutely hear this in his voice, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, he's a, a lovely human. Um, but yeah, Phil, if you need someone to house it for you, you know, just let me know. I'm sure you're not too far from Bring me. it to the Game Awards, you coward. <laughs> let us see it. <laughs> ah, it's just so exciting. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see. But this would, would this be the first time if this were to launch alongside Scarlet, where one launch has two different consoles to choose from? At launch. At launch? That's a great question. I'm trying to think of the last time. And I I don't know if a console has ever launched with multiple SKUs. Yeah. The, I mean, for the beginning of the cycle. Right. We've seen consoles launch with multiple SKUs mid-cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, I even just think about PlayStation 4 and how they launched the PS4 Slim and the PS4 Pro at the same time, well, virtually the same time. So if you had already had, you know, an original PS4, you could right. choose which one you wanted to go with. If you wanted to pay for more power, if you wanted to go with a more like slim down, sleeker system. Yeah. But like at the beginning of the generation, I don't, I don't think so. And I think probably because it's too confusing for consumers most of the time to have to learn the difference between well, what's you know, what's this Xbox versus this Xbox? I would imagine that Lockhart would launch ahead of Scarlet. The Scarlet would stick in holiday 2020 as they're mm-hmm. like de facto powerful, like you're locked with 4K 60, right? Because we can, we can guarantee the performance on the box. It's not determined by, you know, cloud servers, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe. Xbox pulls a wild one and releases like a Chromecast-like device for xCloud ahead of that. Maybe E3, maybe GDC, maybe sometimes summer. August seems to be a good time, even though that's, to me, a little dangerously close Mm. to holiday. But 
Maybe that's maybe that's the maybe that's the play. That would be interesting. And then I guess though you wouldn't launch your big Halo Infinite until if they go that route until Scarlet also launches. Correct. Fall holiday. So it'd be more. Hey, if you want to get ahead ahead of the game and in theory own the most powerful console, air quotes here, there is because we don't know if this is like an Xbox One sad where it's essentially like a regular sized console or, or however that works. Interesting. Hmm. I don't know. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Because then wouldn't you want to, like, purchase it? But even if you want the Scarlet, you, you're antsy like me, Brittany Brombacher. You're going to want to buy everything? I don't know. If Xbox can deliver on the promise or the dream, rather, because mm. it's not, not really a promise. It really is just a dream <laughs> of being able to take your game says with you wherever you go, I would absolutely buy Lockhart, like, around E3 in June and get in on Game Pass, get in on Xbox Live Gold, get in on, like, the Xbox ecosystem. Like, obviously, I am already, but, like, if I wasn't, like, the value proposition. And then if I can take all of my save files and all of my progress and all of the games that I buy on Lockhart and bring them to Scarlet seamlessly... That, to me, is like a gigantic win for Xbox and Microsoft. Mm. No console has been able to do that yet. And they really would... I mean, obviously, they could hopefully do it with... Not obviously, but hopefully, Mm -hmm. they could accomplish that with all of their amazing first-party studios that they now own, because they have like 15 of them. (laughs) But you would really want to lean on your key third-party publisher partners to make that happen. That's the thing about Stadia that I think really fell on its face is that if they had worked with people like Ubisoft, who was a big partner for them, to say, hey, we want people who bought Assassin's Creed Odyssey on another platform to be able to bring their save to Stadia. Sure, you have to rebuy Assassin's Creed Odyssey on Stadia, but we'll let you bring your save file in. So if you never finish the game and you want to finish it on Stadia, you can just bring it in. And it, it helps not only Stadia, but it helps Ubisoft as well because then it gets people to buy a second copy of the game. Mm. That would have been huge mm. at launch if Stadia had actually accomplished that, but they didn't. And so now we're stuck. The only game that offered cross-save was Destiny. And it's tough because Destiny is is not the same type of game. Destiny relies so much on multiplayer and stadium multiplayer on stadia is just kind of fucked right now, oh, I which know. is a, which is a whole other conversation we're not going to get into right now. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was really kind of a bummer for me that that's the route that Google went is that we're like, Hey, we're going to double down on our partnership with a game that's dependent on stadia and internet or excuse me, dependent on online and internet connection. So I think Xbox could have a big win here if they pick a partner and say, hey, we're going to allow this publisher, this third-party publisher, to let you bring your save file to the cloud and cross between. I think, oh, I just think how cool that would be. Yeah, but then you have xCloud, and then does it really matter? No, it does, though. It, it matters if you haven't bought the game on that platform, right? So if you want to convince people to buy it on in the Xbox ecosystem versus in another one, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. So, like, let's hypothetically... Oh, so you're okay. To be clear, what you're saying is, let's create a, let's create a situation. Okay, let's set up. Let's, let's do set up it. a scenario. Talk to me. I'm Andrea Renee, yes, and I own an Xbox One, mm-hmm. and I 
have subscribed to Project X Cloud. I'm got an Xbox Game Pass subscription and I've got an Xbox Live Gold subscription. I decide I'm going to buy a game like Cyberpunk 2077 on Xbox One. Mm-hmm. And I do that because it means when Project X Cloud launches, hypothetically, I can take my save file that I've started on my Xbox One and play it like seamlessly on Project X Cloud while I'm streaming it to my Project X Cloud enabled device, whether mm-hmm. that be an iPad or a laptop or what have you. Mm-hmm. Along comes Lockhart. I can then seamlessly take my save file from Xbox One to Xbox Lockhart without any interference. And then I can then take that same save file from Xbox Lockhart to Xbox Scarlet again without any interference. If that is possible, that's mind-blowing. Your mind blows into a million chunks everywhere. Yes, because that's like literally never happened before. Okay. Right? I don't... Right. I think I'm still... I mean, I'm smiling and nodding, but I'm processing because I'm trying to think... So you, it's fine. I, I'm on Sudafed. I'm sure you just made a very great valid point, but like my, my gears are like worrying and clicking in my head and I'm like trying yeah. to follow like one step at a time. And it's like <laughs> the eyes are glazed over and. No, I get it. Like I just put, I just put forward this crazy hypothetical situation. <laughs> well, I'm sure some pe- people in the comments totally agree with you and I'm going to read all of them and then I'll be like, oh. That's what she's saying. No, but like that's what we want as gamers though, right? We want to be able to take the games that we've paid for and continue to play them on the new, better, faster, prettier system. It's the whole reason why backwards compatibility is so important to so many gamers. But the problem is even if backwards compatibility is a thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that your save files transfer. Oh, I see. I I can't just boot up mass effect 2 on my xbox one and play with my old save file it's not the way that it works uh and if it does work that way fuck i've been missing out on a lot of shit <laughs> the world has changed okay i think i, but put, like, I, I think that that's right the idea mm-hmm. I, and i think that's the promise not the pro- again i'm sorry i don't know why i keep using that word i think that's like the hope and the dream of what potentially Lockhart and Scarlet could offer is like, hey, if you buy this thing here, if you choose to spend your dollars in our ecosystem, we're going to allow you to stay in our ecosystem seamlessly. And that's why you should spend all of your dollars here. And I think if Xbox can nail this, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the next generation. That would be, I mean, a great thing because Xbox, you know, I think they've played all their cards, right? Now it's just time to see how it all unfolds. I think how I have it envisioned is that Lockhart is just going to be a discless version of the Scarlet, and they'll probably launch alongside each other, or maybe Lockhart will launch later, and it's going to be a cheaper way to get involved. I think your theory is incredible. You think it's bullshit, and you're like, no, you're like, let, you're like Andrea. I love you. Let me bring you down to earth. For I a mean, second. I, was just, I was just about to say, shoot for the stars, baby girl, and then you said, bring you back down to earth. So I think you did shoot for those stars. But no, it's it's fun to think about that kind of stuff. <laughs> Listen, someone's got a dream. That's hey We're man, in- it's 2020. Brit, it's about to be fucking 2020. We're all gonna be cyberpunks by the end of next year. We're gonna have implants. I'm gonna have like eight eyes. It's gonna be great. Shit.
going to be great. Wild. Wild. Speaking real quick, I know we're not going to go into Stadia, but the uh, Darksiders Genesis is getting relatively good reviews. Oh, wait. Is it out? I believe it's out. How the heck have I not played this game? Oh, I know. I think it just literally came out, or it's coming out. It's this week. So, there you go. OMG. December 5th. (laughs) Well, I guess I know what I'm playing Mm. this weekend. Uh, I'm excited. I really enjoyed that game when I played it. Um, And I'm really hoping that Stadia... Uh, turns around and it's, it becomes like super fucking cool and I'm like yo I know that they like fell on their face when they launched but boy oh boy is it awesome now we'll see this time next year I'll make a note on our calendar to like revisit like we did with the Atari was the yeah, the Atari console that's like supposedly still coming March 2020 that we talked about summer of 2017 oh shit there's a note in the calendar for that yeah every year <laughs> that time of year because when we talked about it in summer 2017 i said okay one year from now we're going to revisit this and then we revisited it and then that's when we learned about all the shit that was going down and apparently according to some new articles it's still slated for march 2020 despite no one even seeing a game running on it yet but that sounds right we'll see that sounds right mm-hmm. and then this last story i'm very excited about and i'm happy that you're just as excited about it as i am <laughs> That's one way to put it. The next Outlast game will be multiplayer. Polygon writes, the Outlast series is going MP. The next title in the spooky game franchise titled The Outlast Trials will explore Outlast survival horror universe with friends, Ah. featuring cooperative play for up to four players. Developer Red Barrel says that the Outlast Trials can also be enjoyed solo for players who prefer a more traditional first-person horror experience. Oh, I like this voice. <laughs> the Outlast Trials <laughs> is not a direct sequel to the Outlast. I don't know. It's not. I, I went a little weird there. Uh, let me pull back. Is not a direct sequel to Outlast and Outlast Two. Red Barrel says. In other words, it's not Outlast Three, a sequel which the developers said it will eventually make. The Outlast Trials is part of the same fiction. However, it's just set in the quote middle of the Cold War era. Players will apparently take on the role of test subjects taking part in an unknown experiment. Quote, our team is hard at work creating a new experience that will bring fear and anxiety (laughs) to millions of players. God. Whether they go through the experiment alone or with friends, said David Chatanoff. Wait, you say it? Chatanoff. Chatanoff. Uh, who is the Red Barrel's co-founder. The Atlas Trials is in the early stages of production, according to an official announcement, with more details promised soon. (laughs) Red Barrel's did not reveal platforms or release date. Also, why on this green earth would you want fear and anxiety in your life, Brittany? Why? I know. I read that and I was like, damn, like when you break it down, that is what horror games do. They give you fear and anxiety and I love it. It's uh, So this morning, I saw this, and I was very excited. And I, you know, tweeted the quote where it says, you can play this with your friends. And I mentioned Andrea and Steinberg on Twitter, and they both rejected me very hard. Andrea was like, why, why, why? Which I guess isn't a definitive no. And, and, and Steinberg was I didn't was, say no. Yeah, and Steinberg was just like, yeah, that's going to be a no for me. And I was like, well, that's okay. I got I to gotta shoot my shots. You know, I got to I see. will play this with you. Just like I've said, I will play that scary game in vr and i will play whatever scary games with you yeah 
Because 2020 is the year that Lights Off is coming back. You've heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. I'm putting the flag in the ground. But yeah, I can't say that I'm going to enjoy the experience, but that's, I'll do it. That's what friends do, you know? You sometimes that's put friends, friends first. Are for. This is cool, though. I mean, I played the first Outlast for a few hours, and that was enough. And then you and I played the second one for a few hours for Lights Off, right? Yeah. And we uh, sure did. We sure did. Oh, oh. We sure did. Yeah. It basically just consisted of me hiding in the bushes and then running in terror. Yeah. And then at the end, we knew our fate was sealed. So we just charged the killer and we're like, take yeah. us. We're uh, like, let's go. Yeah. By the way, if you guys have never seen Lights Off, that's my approach to scary games. I just scream at the TV <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not scared of you. It's kind of like how I scream with my eyes open. You just charge full force. You're like, you're like I'm not going to be a bitch. Come take me. Uh, yeah. So this will be a fun game. Just wait. It'll be great. I'm actually very excited because I don't like playing these kind of games, honestly, because I don't like having I don't like the games where I have to hide or I have to be stealthy and I'm constantly running. I like to be spooked by paranormal shit. Give me Samara. Give me that little girl from the exorcism. Give me all of those things. Just don't give me crazy dudes with pitchforks or other entities trying to kill me. Yeah, I'm with you, Britt. I never enjoy the game mechanic of you only survive by running away. Mm -hmm. It just seems inherently anti-fantasy which so many video games embrace this idea that you can be powerful and overcome things that you could never even attempt in the real world or even imagine sometimes in the real world and outlast is very much just like oh no you don't get to fight these people they will automatically kill you if you attempt to fight them instead it's like your survival is like literally running away and hiding that's it and i i don't like that no but i'll play it but you know what? That's what you do. For science. For science. All right. And that is going to do it for the news this week. Thank you for sticking with us as we had to split the news into two segments because there was just so much to talk about. Who would have guessed in December that everybody wants to have their breaking news stories? Uh-huh. Um, normally I would say when we come back, but we're just going to go ahead and roll right into the hands-on section of the show. And we're going to start with Miss... Brittany, because I saw you tweeting about this adorable video game called Arise. Arise, a simple story. Yes, let me pull up my notes here. Okay. Yeah, so this is a game developed by Piccolo Studio, published by Techland. This is Piccolo's first game, actually. I was reading a little bit about them, and they're it's made. It's founded by three dudes, I think, who have been together for over twenty years. I, I think it's three dudes. Making an assumption. I might be wrong. Um, and they worked in advertising, but their childhood dream had always been to make video games. So they hired some folks from the video game scene in um, Spanish-speaking countries, and they put together a rise, a simple story. So it's the first game, which is incredibly exciting, especially because it's really good. So this game takes you like four to five hours or so to finish, and it depends if you want to collect all of the things or not. You can, and I'll get a little into a little bit more about that later. So Arise, and I'm reading off of the, I think it's a Steam page here. Arise is a journey through the bittersweet lives of two people where memories come alive and time bends to your will. So the game starts and you are a Viking Nordic man and you are being burned because you have died. And that's what, that's what happens when you die back in those days. And you On the pyre, so to speak. The pyre, yes. And you, quote, wake up and you are in this vast snowy field 
And first, and then something, there's a little shiny thing on the snowy field. You walk up to it, you interact with it, and then that's your very first memory that you unlock. And then you play through that, that memory. And then you go to like, there's maybe like seven or eight of them. And each one maybe takes like, oh, I don't know, 30 or so minutes to go through, depending on, like I said, if you want to do collectibles. So how this game plays is you, it is a platformer first and foremost, but it has this fun, uh, time rewind feature. So how it will work, like let's say you are walking through the snowy field and there's um, a jump you need to make. Then using the right stick, you can fast forward or go into the fast forward or reverse time, which will either make the snow rise, make the snow rise or go down. And depending on like, because you're fast forwarding time, right? So if you need to jump a gap, but you can't make it, you move the stick to the right, fast forward time, now you have the snowy field that you can jump over. Or in the opposite, you can rewind time, and now it's kind of spring, and now you have a raft that's floating in the melted snow, which is now a lake that you can use to cross over. Oh, interesting. Yes! And there's also, um, you know, like, there's water, little water levels where you're riding on these lily pads and you can fast forward or, you know, reverse time. And it, the lily pads will take you across and down the river. There's bumblebees that come and go. And it's just really cute. So you run, you jump, you climb things. And I didn't know this, but you can play this game in co-op. So when I found that out, I called my husband Jason over and I was like, hey, let's play this cute game together. And so what one person does is, this is what I did, is I was the man and I was doing all the platforming and he controlled the flow of time. As you do. Well, you know. And he controlled the flow of time. So he was able to, you know, obviously, like, he's integral. I can't play this game without him because I need him to basically manipulate the puzzles so I can continue further on into the game. So it's... It's... A tragic... Seems communication intensive. Yes, absolutely. You have to be able to communicate well. If you do not communicate well with someone, I would say don't invite them to play this game with you. <laughs> Maybe just don't have them in your life. Maybe yeah, that too. Yeah, because the and the, the problem is is like this is a platformer and there's that cool time mechanic, but for being a platformer, the controls are kind of clumsy and clunky, which is kind of unfortunate. Mm. Because oh bummer. Yeah, in a game like this, you know, you you want to be able to focus on the story that's being told, right? You don't want to get frustrated by some poor platforming mechanics and they're not terrible by any means and i pride myself on being like a very good person at platforming games i will kick anyone's ass in mario and um it, it, noted noted yeah there's just it's just kind of clunky and clumsy and you know jumps that you should make sometimes if you it's very precision based to the point where it's like should this game be that precision based probably not but that's just like my main complaint about it and i was talking to some folks who had also played it and they also said the same thing so i know it's not just me uh, but this game is beautiful. The visuals are just absolutely gorgeous. The music is just so beautiful, too. And it just really um, complements the visuals of this game and the narrative as well. And, you know, this is a it's a story about, you know, like I said earlier, a, a couple and a man who is essentially he dies and then he goes through these iconic moments in his life by ways of he sees, you know, like statue replicas of um, those moments. And there are the collectibles around each level, which will give you a little bit more insight as to what happened in between those statues that you find to give you a little bit more details. Uh, they're not mandatory by any means, but whenever I did see one that I thought was in reach, I would go after it because they're just little drawings, but it really does help fill in the gaps. And what I will say is the first part of this game, maybe the first, like, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, 35, to maybe 30, 60 minutes, I 
wasn't sure if I was going to get hooked on it. I wasn't sure if I even wanted to finish it because it focuses on, you know, the, the, the boy's childhood, right? And meeting his partner. And it's mostly at that point, it feels all about the platforming because you're not emotionally invested in the story yet. And when the platforming isn't super great, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know where they're, where they're trying to go with this. But I continued playing. And then once the story beats really like kind of started hitting and you kind of put two and two together, I was admittedly shedding many a tear at the end of this game, and Jason was also pretty emotional, mm-hmm. too. So I would say if you have um, you know, a, a partner that you communicate well with, which I hope you do, <laughs> if you're with them. Hopefully that person exists in your yes, life. I would you know, play it with them. It's, it's a quite an emotional trip, and it's a short game. And uh, definitely would be on my um, conversation list about Games for Impact had this released a little earlier in the year. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. It's um. This sounds really cool. I had, had literally heard nothing about this game until I saw you tweeting about it, and I was like, "Oh, what is this thing?" I don't even recall seeing this at like a PAX or a preview event or like a carnival. I f- carnival? I festival? Mean, if it was at um, a carnival, that'd be cool. I think it was announced during <laughs> State of cool. Play. I think. Oh, really? I think it was. Yeah, I think that's where I saw it. Yeah, during State of Play um, in September. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, it's cool. super cute, and it's just a beautiful little game that is definitely worth some of the clunkiness in the controls. It's not, and I guess, not terrible. It's just like, sometimes you're thinking, why? But You're like, oh yeah, this was made by three people. I don't know if it was actually made by three people. I think the founders are three people. But then I think they hired mm. talent to help them out. But it's, you know, it's always exciting to see someone's someone chase their childhood dream of making a video game and they make their first game and then they get picked up by Techland to publish it. And it's a great game. You know, it's exciting. Good job. Yeah. So Arise, a simple story. story. So did you say this was Techland or Devolver Digital? Techland. Techland? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they were doing publishing. Yeah. I don't know what other projects they're working on, if any, but that's what that's honestly why I was really excited about this at first because you know I know Techland didn't develop this, but hello my dying light fans, and I was like okay well if, hey if Techland's publishing it you know they must see something in it and yeah I I see why now. Interesting. I didn't realize that they had gotten into into publishing, but this is cool. It mm-hmm. looks cool. The art style looks beautiful. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Definitely worth a play if you want to have some feels. All right. Well, speaking of feels, no, just kidding. Um, (laughs) The game that I've been just dabbling in, and I say that because I've only played a couple of hours, so I really just, this is like first look impressions at best, is Need for Speed Heat. So this game came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, almost a month ago now, uh, developed by Ghost Games, of course, published by Electronic Arts, who provided me the code for the game. And I remember this game being announced and then getting released kind of in a whirlwind because mm-hmm. they didn't announce it at E3. They announced it afterwards and then it was like, oh, it's coming out, it's coming out in, in the fall and just kind of like happened. But I wanted to try it because I'm such a fan of the Need for Speed franchise and I really love arcade racers. And so far, I've been having a lot of fun with it. The thing that I'm a little kind of like turned off by is like some of the writing in the game is like 
Mm, cringe? Like, kind of cringe-worthy. Uh, yeah, uh, like, uh. hashtag cringe. Like, yo, bro, we're going to have these sick rides, bro. Pick up chicks, bro. Like that? Yeah, and it's like, if it was at least, like, a little bit cheeky, like Fast and the Furious is in, the, in that underworld racing mm-hmm. scene, I would be down for it, but it's, like, worse. Uh. It's like Tokyo Drift bad. Um, it, I like Tokyo Drift, for the record. I like mm-hmm. all of the Fast and the Furious movies, but... What they did really nail from what I've played so far is the graphics look great. The lighting effects look awesome. The car customization is on point and they have a day night cycle. And then of course what Need for Speed has always excelled in is really kind of weaving in this idea of like cops versus racers. So there absolutely is a mechanic with the police in this game. And I'm looking forward to exploring this a little bit more, sinking a little bit more time in, kind of really digging into what's happening here because I've, like I said, I've only spent a couple of hours with the game, so I haven't really gotten the meat of it yet. But if you were a fan of Burnout Paradise and the, the kind of open world aspect of being able to kind of drive from race to race and picking where you're going, I think you might be intrigued by Need for Speed Heat. And you might be able to get it in like a sale bin somewhere mm-hmm. um, because like, you know, it's been out for a month and clearly hasn't been lighting the world on fire. <laughs> um, and it's a good game and it's definitely worth your time if you're interested in arcade racers so that said like i mentioned i wouldn't recommend paying full price for this game mm. but you know is it 59.99 still um no. that's a great question let me see it was on sale a couple of days ago for 40 bucks oh. As part of the Cyber Monday deals, but those are probably long gone now. But there'll be deals. There'll be deals at gaming outlets all the way until you know after mm. New Year's. So it's that time of the it year. It looks like Walmart has it on sale for thirty five ninety nine. eBay, you can get it even cheaper. Oh. So there's okay. a bunch of different versions of the game that you can get. But I'm looking forward to trying it and, and playing a little more. It's been a long time since I've gotten really hooked by a racer. Mm-hmm. I really liked what um, I played with Dangerous Driving, the team, the former team from Criterion that were, you know, responsible for the Burnout series. But that was a really small kind of indie affair. And I would love to see them get a AAA budget. But until then, Need for Speed is really it until the next um, Horizon, um, uh, excuse me, the next Forza Horizon game comes out. Mm. So... That's been fun. Um, but Britt, you've also been playing a game called Tools Up. <laughs> yeah. So this not this is not a game for me, and I learned that within the first like forty five minutes, but I want to talk about it because maybe it's the kind of game for you, dear listeners, and you, Andrew. Ooh, you might okay. Like it. I'm gonna look up a video on it right Okay, now. so this is a really silly game developed by the Knights of Unity, published by All In Games. It features four player local co op. And I would say it's a like overcooked mixed with handyman services okay go on okay so you have you know you do the levels you get the ratings and then you can use those points to access new levels and it's that old chestnut so oh you can pick little like little like plumber guys that are yeah. all wearing little hard hats there's like a basset hound there's like a beaver mm, it's, some kind of iguana lizard it's super silly and they're all like in overalls yeah well they're handymen that's what they do they wear overalls and hard hats and they have crazy okay. mustaches apparently dogs do too i don't know <laughs> 
um, whatever. Uh, that's design choice. So anyway, it looks really quirky and really silly. So that's, you know, the kind of game I was craving. So we started playing and it was just the two of us. So how it would work is that you walk. It's a top down view and there's just rooms of a house. It's a house and you see the, the room separated, obviously, by like walls and whatnot. So there's a blueprint in the house somewhere. It's not like it's hidden on purpose, but you just have to like get to it. So someone walks into the house, grabs the blueprint, opens the blueprint, and then it shows you what needs to get done to the house. And meanwhile, there's a timer going down at the top. And it's oh, where- wow. I'm watching the gameplay, Britt, mm-hmm. and this feels like a direct rip from Overcooked in a kind of a gross way. Oh, really? Cause I didn't but get- continue, but can, from an art from an art perspective. Oh, only. oh, sure, sure, sure. From an art can, perspective, continue, continue on. Okay, so it starts off pretty simple, where it's like, okay, so run to this room and paint these. These walls have to be painted orange, so you have to have someone on the blueprint who is telling you. Obviously, is giving out commands, right? Because then once you set the blueprint down, all of that goes away, and then you just have to recall from memory what needs to get done. Obviously, you can pick up the blueprint whenever you want and look at it, and only the person who has the blueprint can rotate the camera but of course when the person does pick up the blueprint it shows across the screen for everyone what you have to do and so you know we'd walk into a room and be like okay so grab this paint can over here and paint these walls orange and then there's some garbage in this corner that needs to be picked up so we're like okay so i start painting so it's the kind of thing where you can like very simple commands where you pick up you put down and you use an item or you can throw things I don't know why you'd want to throw things, but apparently maybe in the tougher levels you need to do that. So I would pick up the paint can and I would throw it in the room. I guess I could just I just threw it, but I'd actually set it down. And then it's like, okay, you push A to get your roller going, and then you push A to use the roller, push A to dip it back in the paint, push it again, and you have to go around each panel um, around the room to do all the walls. And then meanwhile, to throw away garbage, you have to walk up to the garbage, push A, and then go to this little recycling bin that's just sitting in the room, push A to dump it back in there. You know, and granted, this is moving really quickly, so I know it's probably sounded really monotonous, and it kind of was when we were playing, but maybe that's your thing. Um, and the problem. <laughs> maybe you're into monotony. Maybe. The problem is, too, is this game is kind of physics y, so if you bump into the paint can, it's just going to spill paint everywhere, and then that's another thing you have to pick up. So after a few mm. levels, it obviously got a little bit more intense, where it's like, okay, you need to make drywall, and then that's like a process where. And this is where I can kind of see where the the strategy would come into place because you only have that one recycle bin I was talking about, but you use that also to make drywall. So if you have garbage, you have to have communication. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. You have to have communication where it's like, okay, I'm going to make the drywall first. In the meantime, you're going to paint this or you're going to tear down this wallpaper or you're going to lay this carpet and blah, blah, blah. So while you're doing all of this, you'll also learn that there aren't you don't always have the supplies you need at the beginning of the level. So while you're all running around like ch- chuckle fucks with your heads cut off, you know, this dude will come up to you, the, the door of the house and ring the doorbell and then, okay, there's your carpet. So then one of you has to stop what you're doing, run to the front door and grab the carpet. I even saw the dude trying to deliver the carpet to the wrong house. Now, if that would have happened, I'm assuming oh, that would have... Oh, shit. It's like real life. It's, <laughs> seriously, man. Seriously. It's like real life. I'm assuming if I hadn't caught him in time, he would have given the carpet to the other person and it would have probably suffered a time, you know, a time penalty or something. And so, yeah, it's it's all kind of about strategizing and doing X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z and divvying that up. And then even if you, you know, don't do all the tasks at once, if you don't get all the tasks done by the time the timer is out, you still get stars for doing what you did. And then obviously, if you only get one stars, you're not going to be able to get very far throughout the game before it's like, yo, you need 10 more stars to proceed. And you have to go back. And anyway, like. 
I don't really like games like Overcooked. I don't really like games like this because it's just too choresy and too intense. I like to play games where I'm farming and doing other kinds of chill chores. So, but maybe, you know, this sounds like something you might like out there. Check it out. It's silly. It's quirky. And yeah, the art style very does look like uh, Overcooked. But the play style itself is obviously very different. Yeah, the what you're doing is different it just i've been watching a couple of gameplay videos while you've been describing you know your gameplay experience and kind of just taking a look at it i think it's fascinating that oh well well i think it's fascinating that it looks like it's almost directly kind of riffing on the overcooked phenomenon both from an mm-hmm. art style and from a gameplay style but clearly it's with clearly it's with um what's it called different mechanics if you're a, right you're a construction person and i after having just gone through a construction project i kind of like <laughs> find a little bit of humor in some of the things that you were mentioning but at the same time it's like well you know it's i think some of the genius of overcooked is its simplicity and the way that the gameplay is, and like I'm looking at even the menus, and they the menus look almost exactly like Overcooked, and mm. it's not the same team at all. It's not Team Seventeen or Mm-mm. any of the same people, right? No, it's, it's comp- the Knights of Unity and All In Games. Those are the devs and the pubs publisher. Huh. I feel conflicted, but also like. Is it a big deal? Is it bad that they are just... Is this an homage to Overcooked? Should I care? (laughs) I mean, I think it's... Obviously, Overcooked is extremely successful. And I think it's only natural that people are going to try to put their own spin on it. Right? Yeah. And I think that's exactly what this is. There's this article from Rock Rock, Paper Shotgun. And the title is, Tools Up Looks Like the Overcooked of House Renovation. And that's exactly what Hmm. it is. In a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I've seen, you know, you and Steimer play Overcooked. This one seems like there might be a little bit more going on in terms of things you have to do. Maybe not. Maybe I just haven't paid that much attention. But like I said, like, I was drawn to it because I thought it was more of like a silly, physics-y, silly, chill game. And then I didn't read the description properly. Like a human fall flat kind of a thing? Yeah, something like that. I think of the game I was thinking of was Moving moving Out. Is that what it is? It's that. um, Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like thinking it might be something like that. Yeah, moving out is the uh, Team 17, but that's not out yet. I'm hoping it will be soon. very soon. Don't forget, we got to still play Supermarket Shriek. Oh, God. That is hilarious. That is a funny game. I mean, all you have to do is scream into a microphone. I know. We have to I'm do just that. kidding. It's way more complicated than that. <laughs> Let's do it. Greg and I got the opportunity to play that together, and it was hilarious. Oh, God. I want video. Mostly because I was screaming into a microphone to move shit. And you would think he would be the one screaming because he's the loud one. That's true. <sighs> anyway, um, cool. I guess if you guys want to check it out, if you're a fan of Overcooked, um, the place to go is um, it's on Switch and Steam right now. I played it on Xbox. I'm not sure exactly where it's on. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on Steam, Xbox, and one article. It's PlayStation. Oh, And maybe cool. Switch. Yeah, it said Switch on the 3rd of December, so it should be out now. It's on all of the things. 
All right. Um, I wish I had another game to talk about, but gotta be honest, I've been so busy finishing the construction on the studio that I haven't played much. I still have a lot in my backlog, but I have been watching The Mandalorian Uh. and The Watchmen. And I know we don't normally talk a lot about TV, and of course, this is going to be spoiler free, but I just want to mention that if you are a Star Wars fan at all, if you've watched a movie or a series or anything, and you're like, hey, that's kind of cool, and you haven't seen The Mandalorian, I highly recommend it. Obviously, you've seen Baby Yoda somewhere. Oh, everywhere. <laughs> because Baby everywhere. Yoda is everywhere. Um, I've been told that uh, this creature's official name is The Child, and it is not Baby Yoda. The Child? That's the really creepy. The canon name is The Child. That sounds like something you find in a horror movie. The Child. Yeah, or like some kind of weird fantasy where they're like a, a, a deity or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like it. Um, but yeah, so the idea is that this race that Yoda was is unknown because George Lucas never gave it a name and never really gave any information about it. And that I think it's Yaddle. But yeah, you were There's telling me about this when I was very female, tipsy. Female uh, version of Yoda. Um. Yeah, Yaddle. Yaddle? Yaddle? Yaddle. Um, so she was in episode one for like a hot second and then forever gone. And then there was only just Yoda. And baby Yoda is supposed to be 50, which would place baby Yoda's birth around episode one. So there's a bunch of theories going around. It's like, is Baby Yoda the actual chosen one and Anakin Skywalker wasn't? Is Baby Yoda something else? Like, who knows about it? Like, the theories are rampant on the mm. internet. It's always it. so fun, I'm though. so into it. Yeah. But what we can all agree on is that this creature is the cutest effing thing to ever happen to cinema. So cute. I can't stand it and it's all puppeteering which i love i oh, it love is. that it's practical effects yeah it's a it's a two-person puppet there's somebody that like moves like the the arms and stuff and then there's mm. somebody that mo- has a more intricate thing that they move like some of the facial features you know and sorry go ahead i'll say baby yoda is really fucking cute but i'll be real if i wake up one day and he's just like standing above me i would probably here's for the third time this episode shit bricks what? No, come on. You you'd hug it. Nah, like don't get me wrong. He's he's cute, but he kind of looks like an I mean, obviously an alien, of course, but like uh I don't know, maybe it's cuz I haven't seen Baby Yoda in actual action. I'm thinking like Wally. Like Wally, see Wally's real cute or like BD1. Like those are things I would hug. Yeah. Immediately. But BD1's a robot. But he, he has those big eyes. He's a living thing. But he looks so I don't know, Andrew. Cute, cute is the word. He's adorable. Cute. He is sweet. Cute. He's you die for him, Brittany. He's like Admit spiders. It. I don't mind if they're if the minute they come in my house, that's it. Wow, I can't believe you just compared Baby Yoda to spiders. It's the same idea. Don't come in my what? house. No, don't crawl you on me in the middle if, of sleep. If Baby Yoda came into your house, you would kill it. No, because I don't kill the spiders in my house. I have Jason do it. So you would have Jason murder him. Wow, Brittany, I've learned so much about you just now. Andrea, if an alien (laughs) was in your house, standing over you, crawling on your face in the middle of the night, would you hug it? (laughs) If it was a baby alien that made cute little baby sounds? Oh, girl, see, that's when they eat your face off. That's when you're dead. This is why you will not survive. You cannot hug aliens, Andrea, if they're crawling on your face in the middle of the night. They are not there to be your friend. They are there to abduct you, girl. Okay, well noted 
trying to protect you. Brittany's uh, raising her hand like she's praying to all the alien gods to be like, please don't, don't take eat my girl. Me in my sleep. Don't take my girl. Um, um, but anyway, okay. well, I really, I'm going to show you the Mandalorian someday. And I was you're going to change your mind. I really want to see this. I, I've actually been eyeing it. I, the Mandalorian. Now, I'm sorry. I'm stupid. That's the, the main dude, right? That's the dude in the suit. Yeah, well, technically, the Mandalorian refers to, like, a tribe oh. of people. So, like, the the Mandalorian... Let me see if I can pull up, because I definitely don't want to fuck this up. Some Star Wars super fan who's listening to the show is going to be like, well, actually... Because <laughs> um, I've seen girls and men <laughs> thirst over this man, and I guess at one point, like, some skin on his wrists was showing, and everyone freaked out. Yes, yeah, so the idea is that... Mandalorian never remove their armor or their helmets, at least in the, you know, sight lines of anybody else. Obviously, they have to eat and bathe, mm. so they have to take their armor off, but they don't, nobody is allowed to watch, right? It's the idea that they're always in ah. their armor. So the Mandalorian um, are, this is reading from just the Wikipedia page, are typically from the planet Mandalore in the Star Wars franchise, first conceptualized for the Empire Strikes Back as a group of white-armored super commandos. The idea developed into a single bounty hunter character, Boba Fett, who is the iconic one that everybody Mm. knows. Although the term Mandalorian is never used in the films, the popularity of Boba Fett inspired an extensive number of works about Mandalorians in the Star Wars expanded universe, also known as canon legends. Recognized by their iconic armor, the Mandalorian people are characterized in the expanded universe as a multi-species warrior people who often work as mercenaries and bounty hunters. The Clone Wars television series reintroduced them to the franchise as a human people and introduced the new Mandalorians, pacifists who wish to distance themselves from Mandalore's warrior traditions. Mandalorian warrior characters also appear in the Rebels animated television series and in the live-action web television series, The Mandalorian, which they're referring to the Disney Plus series. I'm so confused. Essentially, like, Mandalorians are... Like, I don't want to say like a cult because that makes them seem like kind of like fanatical because they're not. Some people refer to it as a religion of like, hey, these are the things that I adhere to and these are the things I believe in. Much like certain religions say, hey, you're going to wear your hair a certain way like certain sects of Judaism have or you're going to wear certain head coverings like certain sects of Muslim um, have or – Etc. Etc. Right? Like there are different types of Christianity. Mm -hmm. They have Mm -hmm. to wear specific kinds of robes and head coverings. Right? So religions generally have sects that have very hardline rules of like we all do this thing and you're not allowed to deviate. Right? Like if you think about nuns and how they wear a habit. Right? Right. Or if you think about, you know, like uh, um, burqas or if you think about anything that has to do with religion, right? So think about a Mandalorian's helmet in that same way. Okay. Got it. So they never take their helmet off in public, you know, just like certain sects of, like I had mentioned, you know, other religions say we can't take our robes off or our helmets or our head coverings off in public and, and for whatever reasons that re- religion dictates. No, That's yeah. Boba Fett. Okay, that all or makes sense. It, in the Mandalorian, he's not Boba Fett, he's somebody else. But we don't know what this dude's name is yet. That I'm aware of. Mm. Mm. Do you have a crush on him like everyone else does? Well, not really. I mean, he seems like a generally good dude and has like a solid moral compass, which is important. 
Um, but as far as like having a crush on him, I mean, I mean, I know I'm easy to please, but from what I've seen, I mean, walking around in that armor of his, I'm like, okay. I mean, yeah, it looks decent, but like for me, it's like I have always had trouble coming to terms with people who are very devout in their beliefs so much so that they restrict their personal or hum- human choices. Mm. Like one of the really amazing things about being a human on planet Earth in 2019 is that I have the freedom to choose to do a lot of things, particularly as an American, more so than other people in other countries in the world. I get to choose if I'm wearing a What's Good Games baseball hat on the show this week or if I'm wearing makeup, or if I'm wearing pants versus a skirt, right? Like, I get to make that choice. And that's Andrea Renee's decision. But when you follow certain religions, whatever religion you choose to follow, you have to adhere to a set of rules because that's your belief. And the benefits you get from that religion clearly outweigh the negatives of not being able to wear a baseball hat or pants or whatever your religion dictates your rules are. Mm. And it's just something that I've never understood because it's just not my preferred way of living my life. That said, it doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just means that it's not for me, Andrea Renee. And that's just the way that I've always kind of been. And Mm -hmm. that's why I don't really look at the Mandalorian as somebody who was like, ooh, he's sexy. I'm like, dude, I just want to see your face. Like, I feel like we can't have a real conversation if I can't see your eyeballs. What if he takes off his helmet? And he's a seal. But he can't. Then he's no longer a Mandalore. That's okay. He's what, kicked out. What if he he's doesn't gone. want to... What about... What about this? He doesn't want to be a Mandalore anymore because he wants to confess his love for you. John Drake is not in this, not in this universe. Sorry, John. Obviously. And he walks in. He's like, Andrea. And then he takes off his helmet and then he's a fucking seal. Whoa. Hold on. Hold the phone for just a second. <laughs> First off, I think we covered a long time ago that I'm not actually sexually attracted to seals. That'd be a weird thing. It'd be unnatural. It's nothing. <laughs> For the record, Andrew Renee is not sexually attracted to seals. Thank you, for the record. Um, second of, I think what's really conflicting about the thing you're proposing is that you are, Ugh. under this assumption, becoming enraptured, enamored, in love, in infatuation with somebody off of who they are as a mystery, Right, like you are falling for or you're attracted to the mystery of that person. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. The idea that like you can't have this thing, you want to know this thing, or this person has this elusiveness. And then if they shed that, are they gonna hold the same attraction for you as they held without it? Like this is like an age old problem for people dating, right? I guess it's, it's like kind the of chase, like- right? The thrill of the chase. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I mean, I would just prefer someone to be themselves from the onset than to have to hide behind this mask but i understand that again when it comes to religions and like the mandalores are kind of said to be this religion like i understand that there's something about that like certain religions it's about humility uh beneath the eyes of their god or it's about you know respect or whatever the you know the different tenets are for whatever religion you're discussing and for me as somebody who's you know not religious i just I'm kind of like, but why? But why cover your face when you could like have the sunshine on your face? I wonder if it's like, have you seen those monstrous tally fan arts 
where everyone wants to know what Tally looks like. Yes, I have. I've seen tons of mm-hmm. fan art about what, what Tally's face actually looks like. We're talking, of course, about Mass Effect, the Mass Effect universe. I love where this conversation has gone. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's it. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing bullshit right now. I don't even know what we're talking about. No, but like, listen, I get it. Like, I, I the idea of like a bounty hunter in general is kind of like, ooh, kind of sexy because you're like kind of a criminal, but not. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind like, of, yeah, the right? kind of dude. It's like that you, bad boy, but not mm-hmm. really. You never want to settle down with. Would be good for like a little romp here and there, but nothing <laughs> like, you know, like you said, like you get that attraction out of your system and then you're like, okay, you're actually not a bad, you're not a good guy. I'm going to like get out of here. Yeah, but, like, do you, like, you know, marry a Mandalore and then you forever live with someone who never takes their armor off and oh, then no. you have to be the one to clean it all the time? Mm. Mm. No, instead of a crush, this is lust. It's lust. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, I think the idea is that Mandalores, by their nature, are loners, right? Like, they mm. are mercenaries, bounty hunters, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, they have, like, a... Obviously, we, we've seen in the series is that there's multiples of them and i'm not gonna you know reference a specific thing that happens you know for spoiler reasons but i mean there is a camaraderie so to speak and he in the main character interacts with other people within the mandalorian community because of reasons um (laughs) (laughs) i just i don't want to say anything in case people haven't seen it Mm -hmm. but like there's a lot of interesting things at play and i'm excited that they're exploring this pretty unexplored region of Star Wars culture and Star Wars lore, as far as like it being referenced in the mainstream Star Wars, you know, films for lack of a better reference, but also like this idea that they're bringing this iconic character from Star Wars, Yoda, and saying, hey, we're bringing somebody else in that is like a Yoda lookalike that is going to fulfill some kind of destiny related to Yoda's. And we're going to make it part of the canon. I think that's really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And there's part of me that really wants Baby Yoda to have an appearance in Episode Nine. I'm like, please, like, if if Yoga, if Yoga, if Baby Yoda <laughs> could make an appearance in Rise of Skywalker, that would be oh, it'd be so fucking cool. And it would make sense, like where the storyline is. Well, because the uh, the. Events that happen in The Mandalorian take place between episodes six and seven. So the idea is that the Empire has been defeated, right? Because it's like in a post-Darth Vader world where Luke Skywalker has defeated the Empire. And, you know, it's before what happens in episode seven. And so it kind of like could hypothetically happen in episode nine that this character who obviously, again, is not actually Yoda, but we just call him Baby Yoda. Just go with it. Um, <laughs> or Yoga. The child. The child. The ch- oh, the could, child. Could potentially appear essentially older and maybe not a child anymore in Episode Nine. Ah, oh, shit. And then you get all the, the child people who are like, oh my god, he's so hot because he's older now. Just, people are weird. No, because Yoda was never hot. Girl, I agree with you. I mean, I said I would kill that thing if it showed up in my house. But you've seen the internet. I have in some... I don't even want to tell you how I got there because it's not good. But I was looking through some works of fan fiction not that long ago for Pokemon Sword and Shield for reasons. And there are so many fanfics out there of people fucking their Pokemon. 
And but why? Why? Oh, why? they're slave labor. It's- Don't <laughs> fuck them. That's terrible. You've trapped them, and now you're banging them. It's so <sighs> weird because I'm looking, and it's like so and so and Pokemon. I'm like, oh, this can't. And I, I dare not click on it because I'm not all about that life. That's weird to me. But like I said, man. Yoda, adult, adult Yoda, people would not be opposed to touching an adult Yoda. The internet's a weird, strange Listen, place. Brittany, you're not wrong. I'm sure there is some horribly disgusting fanfic about Yoda out there. Oh, God, I hope no. I never come across it, okay? <laughs> no, please, no. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, it's a weird world we live in, ladies and gentlemen. Also, like I said, I just love where this conversation went. It just went places, and I'm here for it. Yeah, man. And here's me being like, you know what? The show's going to be short this week. Oh, no. I haven't played very much. Um, we're just going to wrap it up quick, and it's never the way it goes. Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, but on that note, um, I hope that if you guys have not been watching The Mandalorian, please go watch it. It's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. And maybe after it's all done, and we've all watched it, we can do a spoiler cast or something. It'd be fun. We haven't done one of those on like a TV or movie in a long time. It's true. Um, all right. So that is going to wrap it up for us this week. As I mentioned, Steimer is going to be coming back for next week's show. Brittany is leaving. And then it's going to be a little bit of a wonky schedule from now until the end of the year. But we do have two special episodes coming for you guys at the end of the month. Of course, we've got our most anticipated 2020 games episode, which is going to be a good one. And then the What's Good Game Awards 2019 is also happening Mm. so keep an eye out for those as always we appreciate the love and support that you guys show us reach out to us we're on twitter at what's good underscore games we're on instagram at what's good games official you can find us at facebook.com slash what's good games we also have a fantastic fan page and a group that has great conversations happening on facebook plus discord.gg slash what's good games and of course reddit dot com slash what's good games is that it sounds right mm, i think no, so no. i believe, mm. I believe no there's like a there's a bunch of like r's like slash r oh the red.com slash yeah. r slash yeah exactly but we're on reddit find our the what's good games community it's great yeah Brittany, feel better get well i'm gonna try it's you know it might be a, a steinbacher show next week rumor has it Yes. Well, we're doing, like I mentioned, we're doing load-in for the studio, so there is an outside chance that I might not be able to be on next week's episode because I'm going to be managing, like, hanging lights and stuff. But hopefully we'll be able to make it work. We shall see. TBD. But until then, have a fantastic weekend, everybody. We love you. Goodbye.